Welcome back to the Institute of World Mission podcast. I'm your host, Alex Ott. We're finalizing this episode just as the General Conference spring meetings are concluding. As you can imagine, everything is done virtually this spring. But there are two important news items that you may have heard already. First, Pastor Ayrton Kohler was elected as General Conference Executive Secretary. For mission and missionaries, this is very important since all church missionary programs are run based on GC Secretariat. It's just as true for the Institute of World Mission and Pastor Kohler will from now on be chairing the IWM Council. On behalf of the IWM team, we want to say special welcome to Pastor Kohler. We're committed to pray for him and his family as they transition into their new phase in life and ministry in the church. In the same vein, we would like to bring your public appreciation for a distinguished ministry of Elder G.T. Eng. Elder Eng, as everybody knows, as you know, led Secretariat and its family of ministries and departments called the Missionary Family for 11 years. He was greatly appreciated and will be much missed. We wish you, Elder Eng, unprecedented God's blessings in the new phase of your life. Second piece of news I would like to share with you. Elder Paul Douglas, who until now served as Director of General Conference Auditing Service, GCAS for short, was elected as the Executive Treasurer. This is one more significant and I would say consequential move for the cross-cultural mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Elder Douglas is a believer and a supporter of cross-cultural missions. We invite the entire missions community to pray for Paul as he steps into his new role. At this moment, let me take you to the upcoming interview that we will have in just a minute. With our interview today, we're doing part two to a fairly recent episode titled The African Worldview Explained. You'll find the link to part one, which is episode 104, in the show notes. Dr. Oscar Asinde leads in the interview and I will let him present and introduce his guest. With that, let's transition to the interview. Welcome to the Institute of World Mission Weekly Podcast, a show for Adventist mission enthusiasts striving to live, serve, and witness cross-culturally. Visit us at iwm.adventist.org slash podcast to view this podcast's show notes, links, and previous episodes. Institute of World Mission is your partner in the mission field. My, my guest today is uh, Professor Samson Noma, who is uh, teaching at the Adventist University of Africa, based in Nairobi, Kenya. He's a professor of uh, New Testament and Applied Theology. Professor Noma was the dean of the Theological Seminary at the Adventist University of Africa for seven years. Before coming to going to Kenya, uh, he was at Babcock University in Nigeria, where he was a chair of the theology department for six years, as well as a dean of the School of uh, Humanities for two years. Professor Nwama is a native of Nigeria, an African serving as a missionary in another part of Africa, well-versed in the issues that confront Africa in terms of mission and ministry. Professor Nwama, welcome. Thank you, Dr. Oscar Osindo, for inviting me as a guest. 
on this platform of podcasts and uh, on African worldview. And I hope that uh, our interaction today will be beneficial to those who would uh, listen to this podcast. Thank you. Welcome. So, Professor Nwoma, how would you define the African worldview? Okay, uh, in defining the African worldview, I would like to come up with three approaches, although interrelated, but I think uh, these three approaches uh, may help someone who is seeking understanding of the African worldview. Uh, the first, I will say, the African worldview uh, could refer to the belief systems and assumptions of realities that influence the African life and actions. Now, when I say assumptions here, it is important to note that for an African, experiences can define realities. And so uh, these experiences also can eventually uh, um, shape his belief systems. And so it is uh, proper to say that the African worldview first is the belief system and assumptions of realities that shape his life and also actions. Uh, I would want to also say, still uh, related to this, that uh, we can still view this as the system of the belief in the system of hierarchies and the entities of powers and how this order of things also form the framework of how an African approaches life and how he relates to even his environment. And not just that, even also his community. Uh, the third approach uh, I would want to give, still related, is uh, the, the, the African understanding of his environment, the nature of man, the meaning and nature of life. Because uh, the, the African believes strongly that life interrelates with the environment. And of course, the environment is both seen and then the unseen and, and on an and environment and the forces that may be uh, in this environment. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. And just still on that, in terms of the African worldview, what are the characteristics of traditional African society? Are there similarities with the modern African community? Okay, the, uh, generally, uh, these have been classified. This worldview or characteristics have been classified and uh, is, is already generally been accepted into four. Although recently there are some attempts to create a fifth layer of these characteristics. But let me begin by the first one uh, out of the four that are generally accepted. Uh, the number one of them is the belief in supreme being as the ultimate reality. Now, this may differ from one community to the other. Like here, I live in Kenya. Of the over 40 uh, ethnic groups here in Kenya, uh, the names and also the concept of this supreme being may differ. But one, one denominator, however, is that every community believes in a supreme being. And uh, ditto my own my own community back in Nigeria, there is that understanding that there is a, an absolute existence being that governs all human existence and environment. And so this we can say uh, for the African is supreme being. 
uh, they go by it, it, it goes by different names and uh, the understanding and relationships also uh, between humans and this supreme being also uh, may differ from one community to the other. The next layer is the belief in spirits and divinities. As the belief in spirit and divinities. This again uh, is also what we say is formed by the experiences, not just a mental understanding or an abstract, uh, an, 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 an abstract explanation or an abstract concept, but this is also formed by the experience that the African has in belief in spirits and divinities. And of course, next to that layer is uh, belief in ancestors. Those who are familiar with uh, some uh, resources on African religion and philosophy, notably uh, by John Mbiti, uh, late John Mbiti, who died just uh, about uh, two or three years ago, uh, who possibly would have come across the term the living dead. And that is because for the African, the dead still influence the society of the living, uh, one way or the other, especially if that dead is still known by a living individual. So as long as there is someone who knows a dead one, a dead person, thought an individual, particularly also those who were aged, quite aged before they died, it is believed that they do influence human existence. Uh, the third layer is the belief in mystical and impersonal powers. And I would want to again say that this is not just an abstract uh, uh, definition, but it's something also born out of, out of uh, experience, uh, also out of experience that the African believes in mystical and impersonal powers, which are bound, you see, which are bound in almost, if not all, uh, African uh, communities. Now, the fifth layer, which I did, I did say that uh, some are proposing a fifth layer, is more or less the belief in sacred days and events. However, I would want to say that uh, the, sacred, the belief in sacred days and events is still informed by the belief in the higher powers of the supreme being, of divinities, of ancestors, of ancestors, because more or less, they are the authorities that in certain African societies are said to have ascribed sacredness to certain days and events. So generally, we can still stay with the four uh, characteristics of belief in supreme being, uh, belief in spirits and divinities, uh, belief in ancestors, and also believe in mystical and impersonal powers, which inform the use of magic, uh, charms, and other spiritual forces to either control life or appropriating them for benefits, as the case may be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for for that. You know, bringing out the the characteristics of the traditional African society and uh, similarities with the modern African community. Yeah, uh, I would want to begin by saying that the, uh, we live in a 21st century African African uh, society. And so uh, I would want to state that 
the African society is no longer a homogeneous community or a homogeneous entity. Uh, and I, I, I could say that uh, a careful observation of the African society today uh, could be classified into traditional and modernized. Uh, but that does not mean that it is the same thing as rural and urban, no. Because somebody who is in the urban area may still subscribe to the traditional African worldview. Because experiences show that uh, despite the level of education or even the abode, when some people are challenged by life, they still resort to a traditional worldview, uh, which we have classified earlier on here. Uh, nevertheless, there are those who still hold family uh, to a modernized worldview, whether they live in rural area or live in the urban area. And that is to say that even though they still believe in the supreme being, their definition or understanding of this supreme being now differ in comparison to the traditional African worldview. And this also affects their belief and relationships with spirits and divinities. And it does also affect even their belief and relationship with ancestors and even the issue of mystical powers. So we may find it difficult to put in one box uh, contemporary African worldview. Uh, it, it, they, 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 of course, the framework is still there. The traditional framework is still there. But there are some today who no longer would accept uh, in total that traditional framework of African worldview because of the influence of either education or a second or third culture that they have been exposed to. So we will say that uh, for some, there is a shift or a modification of a traditional framework of the African worldview while some would still want to hold it firmly because they believe it still governs their life. And, uh, I, and I think it's also very important to say here that uh, this also even cuts across faith because it's still possible that even somebody who has professed Christianity, uh, when certain ex life experiences come his way or her way, you may see such a person just struggling between either a modernized worldview or a traditional worldview. Traditional worldview. But uh, as I said earlier on, there are some who perhaps today believe that uh, the traditional worldview needs to be discarded and a new framework uh, influenced by the second and third culture and organization should actually govern and regulate their life and practices. Yeah, you you have made allusion to to power structures, hierarchies. Um, would you describe the concept of um, leadership and power orientation in an African community? Uh, yeah, I would want to approach that by uh, first of all giving this a background uh, uh, by saying that the African culture also provides the framework to understand leadership, behavior, and even power orientation. And that is because uh, in every given African society, there are shared values and norms that hold together a society or 
organization. These shared values and norms, more or less, are like a unbroken cord. They seem to be you know, a cord that cannot be broken that govern the, the life, the, the values. And that is to say that uh, people who live within a particular African culture can have their lives conducted or regulated through a collection of conceptual aspirations, what they have come to accept or agreed upon as a value systems, as a value system. And these indeed do affect leadership and also power orientation. So from that perspective, therefore, I will say that uh, the concept of leadership and power orientation in African community uh, is uh, influenced by community loyalty, or what I may say is community solidarity or affiliation. I see, because of the common beliefs and values. So there is that community loyalty or solidarity that can, that can affect the, the leadership and power orientation in Africa and how uh, leadership is, is, uh, is uh, understood or even described or even the behavior of leadership. I would also add uh, age as also affecting leadership and power orientation in African community, age and seniority. You know, earlier we talked about uh, the court of ancestors. Now, before they die, because it is understood, and of course, you know, in the African community, it is believed that uh, when, when an old man dies, a whole library is destroyed. And then again, from uh, the background I come from, the western part of Nigeria also tell us that a young man or a youth may have a richer wardrobe but cannot boast of having more rats that's used clothes now what does that mean it means that mm. experience comes with age mm -hmm. you see experience comes with age and for that reason it is it is expected that those with more experience and age uh, are those who in most instances, are entrusted with leadership. So there's also that orientation to power and leadership. And so you can also observe that uh, in that instance, an elderly person in the community has a lot of influence over those who stay or live under him. And I think that also goes to life experiences, which I mentioned earlier on. Life experiences uh, do also affect leadership and power orientation in Africa. Uh, of course, occupation. Uh, re remember earlier on, we mentioned that the African believes in mystical and impersonal powers. Now, some of those who uh, display some of the these attributes, they say the attributes that they can control or they can appropriate these mystical powers are also entrusted with leadership. So. If we want to sum it up, we can say that uh, uh, leadership and power orientation in Africa is influenced by community loyalty and affiliation, community solidarity, age, life experiences, and occupation, and of course, uh, the hierarchy and entities of power. Although, this again may differ in details 
from one community to the other. But at a global level, at a global, a global perspective of, uh, of leadership and power rotation in African traditional society, these uh, uh, factors that I've just listed uh, definitely do uh, influence power orientation and leadership. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Professor uh, Noama. Now, having said that, I mean, you are at home, you are an African uh, serving as a missionary in another part of Africa. But we have missionaries who come from outside Africa. They come from the West, they come from the East, they come from all over the world to serve in Africa. What challenges do missionaries who come from outside Africa face in their interactions, either as leaders or as the led? I, I would uh, say it's one challenge, but uh, I would give, uh, I, I identify seven seven other factors that influence that challenge but i think it's one major challenge uh which affects all other all other aspects of the life of the missionary and this challenge is uh, in the challenge of intercultural communication i say the okay. challenge of inter intercultural communication uh you know I, I i am nigerian from the southern part of nigeria i lived before i came to kenya i lived more than half of my life as a student and worker in the western part of Nigeria, mm -hmm. which has a different culture, slightly different culture. Now, transported from, from Nigeria to Kenya for the past uh, almost eight years now, I'm in another culture altogether. So a missionary comes with his culture or her culture, as the case may be. And there is also the culture of his ministry location. But in reference to your question, to be specific, especially missionaries who come from outside Africa, I have said earlier on here that the major challenge from my experience working with uh, them some back in Nigeria, a few of them and here, is the issue of intercultural communication. How do you relate to the culture that you have found yourself? And uh, like I mentioned earlier on, I want to list seven possible uh, factors that that uh, may have contributed strongly uh, to this intercultural communication. A, a few of them are interrelated, but the first one is what I consider misconceptions about the African worldview. This is not new because uh, mission history in Africa tells us that uh, that was this these factors I've listed here were the same factors that the eliminationaries to Africa uh, 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 encountered, even though it is still playing out today. So the first one I've said is misconceptions about the African worldview. The second one is assumptions, assumptions about the African worldview. Uh, the, the third one is prejudice. Uh, somebody comes and is already prejudiced against the African worldview. The fourth one I will say is the ignorance of the African worldview, uh, where we can say that ignorance uh, is also similar to misconception and assumptions and prejudice. But I want to say that uh, slightly different here, there are some who come completely blank. And I think that is where the work of uh, the Institute of World Mission, uh, the GC, 
uh, has a, a big role to play and has been playing. There are some who come completely ignorant. Uh, although I had mentioned earlier on that uh, the African worldview today can be classified as traditional and modernized. But I think it will be misleading for a missionary who comes to just believe that because he's coming to an environment where people are educated or is going to deal with people who are educated or people who read the Bible, uh, that they know what he's bringing. And then some of them think that the platform of communication should be their own culture. So there is that complete ignorance. I would also want to mention ignoring this case now, not ignorance or but ignoring the African worldview. See, in this case now, they are familiar with certain concepts, but they do not want to pay due attention to that. And for that reason, they want to carry on uh, in their usual manner, possibly influenced by the culture in which they have come from. Uh, the sixth factor, I also see from experience and also interacting here is the perceived Western or non-African superior worldview. The perceived Western or non-African superior worldview. Mm -hmm. Now, the missionary comes from wherever but outside Africa, he believes that he's bringing something better. Now, he's bringing, he's bringing something superior, he's bringing something that uh, the people who is coming to work with should be excited about, but only to realize that it is not exactly that way. And before he, he or she knows it, there has been that pro that intercultural communication. And I think uh, the last one here is a lack of orientation to the African worldview. There are still missionaries who just uh, adorn the gap of missionaries, and then they get to the plane and then arrive where they are, and they think that they need, they need not be educated or orientated at all about the African worldview. So I think that the major challenge is uh, intercultural communication, and this can affect human relationships. It can affect, it can affect even mission, uh, the core mission that they come to do. It can affect uh, even community existence. It can affect in many areas, but the major thing is the intercultural communication. So there is need for adjustment in working with people of another culture who think differently and whose viewpoint and even ethical uh, and social values are not uh, exactly uh, the same. Even though amongst them, there could be some who already have a shift from a traditional African worldview and have been exposed to a third or second worldview that they now can sift. But I think that the major challenge for most uh, Africanized who come from non-African uh, countries to work in parts of Africa is also in communication. Let me also quickly add here that um, I remember I mentioned that I'm Nigerian working in Kenya. Mm -hmm. uh, the assumption also is that Africa is one. Africa, you know, I'm sure you have heard some, some people say, I, I went to Africa. Africa is Africa is not a country. Afri Africa Africa consists of countries, mm -hmm. no less than no less than fifty, mm -hmm. no less than fifty, uh, and uh, it is erroneous to to for 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 people or maybe 
who have worked, even uh, missionaries from other parts of the world, not Africans, who have worked in certain part of Africa to assume that because he has been in the East, when he goes to the West, is the same thing. Or because he was in the South, when he goes to the North, is the same thing. And that is because of uh, the, for lack of uh, uh, best expression, let me say that is because of, uh, of the limited worldview that such individuals even have about Africa. Because Africa is not a country. Uh, how people say, I went, I, I went to Africa. You didn't go to, they didn't go to Africa. They went to a country in Africa. And I think it is also, it will also be very helpful for missionaries who go already on the continent, who move from one place to the other, to take time to be able to understand. So that this issue of misconceptions, assumptions, prejudice, ignorance, uh, and then the perceived superiority uh, may not affect uh, the intercultural communication or can be minimized, can be minimized to affect intercultural communication. Yeah, thank you, Prof, for really taking us through these and even giving uh, seven areas in which a missionary that comes from uh, outside Africa is challenged. Thank you. And you have gone ahead to give a bit of advice on how they need to approach this situation as they come to Africa. Uh, what further advice would you give to help uh, those non-African missionaries serving in Africa to succeed in their mission work, uh, particularly as leaders or, or, or the lead? Uh, I, I would say that uh, the, the, the first counsel I would give is uh, the willingness to learn about the people you are coming to work with. So they should be willing to learn. Uh, that's the, 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 the cap of a superior worldview uh, can be removed and then be willing to learn. Be willing to learn. It, it may take a, it may take some time. It may take some time. I even want to say that in addition to core orientation that they go through, uh, organized by the IWM, I think it is important that when they arrive where they are working, it's important to ask a lot of questions. It's important to observe. It's important uh, not to be quick to act. I think this is where even the Council of James comes in, that they should be quick to hear, but very slow to act. They should be able to understand the environment. I, as I mentioned, uh, even somebody who is coming from one culture to the other within the continent still needs this uh, attribute, the willingness to, to, to learn. It may take uh, a few months, but I think that uh, it will not be months wasted. Uh, the second point is the issue of, of humility. The issue, of, the issue of humility. It is true that uh, those who come to Africa, maybe from non-African countries, some of them genuinely are coming to make a lot of sacrifices in the mission field. But I don't think, however, that uh, even the sacrifice they have come to make should now make them to adorn an air of superiority where perhaps they are not willing to relate with people and then to learn and then to be humble. So summarily, I would just say that it's very important for those who are coming to take up tasks or those of us who are already here to be willing to learn about the people. And when I say people here, not just the persons, but the value system, the value system, the culture, you see, the shared values, the, 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 the system organizations. Because mm -hmm. even though you are coming to work with Adventist Church, 
But Adventist Church is located within a context. And that context, the value system and even the, the organization of, the, of that system may still be reflected by the people who work in that system. So I think it's very, very important to learn because it will not be wasted, wasted their bonds. Thank you for that. that. That's very good counsel that you are giving to, to missionaries. Uh, let me kind of uh, find from you what resources have you found helpful um, you know, in your ministry, in your missionary service. Um, it could be mentors, could be literature. Uh, would you kindly recommend any to your listeners uh, and, and those serving in leadership positions in Africa? Uh, on the African world view, I, there are so many, but uh, of course, some of, I've decided just to name three that are written by indigenous Africans, uh, which can give you a general world view. John Mbiti, African Religions and Philosophy would be good. Uh, John Mbiti, Introduction to African Religions would be good. Um, Bolaji, the African traditional religion would be good. There are many more that can be uh, that can be assessed, and then of course you can do a search about that. Now, if we are talking about mentors, mentors, I would uh, uh, suggest that it is, even though I want John to name a, a particular individual or name individuals here, but I think that it would be helpful for a new missionary coming to Africa from outside Africa to find out who and these resources can be available. Of course, I know that even IWM can give a list of individuals who have worked in Africa, maybe some of them for, for 10, 15, and 20 years, who have successful, successfully worked on the African continent. And some not just only on one part of the continent, some have had opportunity to move from one part to the other. I would also suggest that uh, they could also interact with uh, some Africans who are in the highest level of the church hierarchy. I see, even though they are there already at the height of church hierarchy, they say that they work at the GC or work at the divisions, they have a, a, a wider perspective of the culture that the missionary is coming to, to, to work. And because they have a wider perspective, either from experience or interactions, such people can also become mentors. And I think maybe your office, I want to throw back to you. Your, mm -hmm. office, can, your office can even maybe com, uh, uh, compile a list of, uh, of such mentors, uh, such mentors who either have put in some 10, 15, or 20 years, either retired or still in mission field, who have good track record that can serve as mentors, uh, can serve as mentors. And I would even suggest that uh, from time to time, it is even possible, not just in literature, why I, uh, literature is very important, but I think that from time to time, uh, a forum can even be organized mm -hmm. where such persons and mentors can share their mission experiences. Maybe the early challenges that they encountered, their failures, the failures they encountered, and how they were able to grow uh, in understanding the African worldview and people and uh, how it has helped their work. So I think this will be good. But on the level of literature for general African worldview, I want to repeat that uh, African religions and philosophy by John Mbiti will be good. John Mbiti again, introduction to African religions, 
these are very classic uh, work done by John and Beatty. And then, of course, Bolaji Dou, uh, African national religion. John and Beatty was a Kenyan, but he's late. Uh, Bolaji Dou, Nigerian, he's also, he's also late. But their materials are good enough for a beginner to understand this. Thank you so much, uh, Prof, uh, for sharing with us and giving us deep insights in terms of uh, the African worldview, both a traditional and modern. Now, before we end, um, any prayer requests that you wish the worldwide missionary family to pray for you? Yeah, we like us to pray for missionaries in Africa. Uh, indeed, some are working in very difficult uh, conditions. So let's pray for missionaries in Africa, especially with the era of the pandemic that we are in. I also want us to pray for uh, missionary children in Africa. Uh, you know, some of them who are still uh, not adults, who are living with their, with their parents, uh, are also challenged in understanding the culture. I see, understand the culture. And I think if it's a bit, a bit, a bit even a little more difficult for some of them. So I think we also need to pray for them. And of course, uh, we pray for the institution where I work, the Adventist University uh, of Africa here uh, in Nairobi, Kenya. So these are the three, three prayer requests that I would like the World Church to consider in praying, in praying for. Yeah, thank you. We, so we ask uh, missionaries as, and others as you listen to this podcast, at least at the end of it, pray for those three items that Professor Samson Norma has requested the missionary fraternity and the listeners uh, to pray for. Uh, thank you so much, Professor Samson Norma, for your time, for your insights, and for your knowledge. And may the Lord continue to bless you in your missionary service as you mentor many and as you prepare many for the second coming of our lord and savior jesus christ thank you very much thank you too for having me as a guest and i pray that uh, as we all work on this continent either as african missionaries in africa or missionaries outside africa working here the lord will grant us the wisdom that is needed to be effective and efficient in this work god bless thank you Special thanks to Drs. Asinda and Wama for this insightful conversation. In the recent several weeks, we published to our learning platform that you can find at learnmission.org. Learnmission.org is spelled without spaces. It's a domain name. Here we have the General Conference Mission Training and Community Platform. Again, it's learnmission.org. Now let me tell you about one of the new courses today. It's called Prayer for Healing in Mission. Again, Prayer for Healing in Mission. This course is part of our Cross-Cultural Discipleship Series. It is a tremendous contribution to every missionary's toolset. It is sponsored and brought to you by the Global Mission Center for South Asian Religions. The course will especially be useful if you're engaged in any kind of cross-cultural discipleship situation. Praying for others can bring about many miracles. And we know that the Lord is especially keen on being directly engaged in situations where His name is known little. To gain access to the course, simply go to learnmission.org and register if you don't have an account. From there, you will see the course in the catalog.
That's all for today. My name is Alex Odd and I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. <laughs>